My name is Asher, your host for the Revenue Journey podcast, where we interview and grab unique perspectives from amazing individuals doing technology sales within the APEC and ASEAN region. Now, in recent years and months, we have seen a lot of tech companies having a massive rise in their valuation and growth. Now, due to these reasons, many people are looking to transition into working in technology firms or be involved in the technology landscape. And many people wanted to ride this tech wave. But recently, we have also started to see a massive volume of layoffs happening across the technology landscape. Jobs are affected and there are many uncertainties around being in tech. But what are the underlying reasons for these layoffs and can we still ride the tech wave? Now for this episode, I have a very special guest, Geraldine Pia, Account Executive at Spot by NetApp. Many of you may know her since she first started creating content around relevant topics such as personal finance and also creating content around navigating your career. But recently, she's also started sharing about business fundamentals of SaaS companies, which metrics to look at and about the recent tech layoffs. So in this episode, she shares her perspective on why layoffs are happening and goes on to share her experiences in tech sales, mentorship, tackling global competition and managing her personal finances. Now tune into this episode to gain an insight into the current situation. So with that being said, let's get this episode started. Okay, hello everybody. Welcome to the Brand New Journey podcast. Um, today, I have a very special guest and this is none other than Geraldine. So Geraldine, thank you so much for being my guest on this show and welcome to the Revenue Journey podcast. As always, tell us how you're feeling at this moment. Feeling really excited, you know, because um, I really wanted to be on your podcast for quite some time. I think that I was actually one of the first people you told that you were going to start this podcast, right? Uh, if I remember correctly. Yes, yes, yes. So I, I think... I think also the reason why I told you about it was because I know you're also very active on LinkedIn. Um, actually, that's how I first know you as well, right? Which is something we can dive deeper into later on uh, about how we first met and how we eventually came to where we are today. So I think that's really interesting. But but yeah, I mean, I'm really excited to you know get some of your thoughts and perspective today, Geraldine. Really excited to speak with you guys as well. Yeah, and of course, uh, with every episode, we start off by understanding more about our guests, you know, current situation, their current role and the company they work at, so our listeners have more context. So maybe, Geraldine, start off by telling us a little bit about your current role, you know, what is your role now at which company, and you know, what type of solution or service the company sells. Okay, sure, happy to introduce. So first of all, uh, my name is Geraldine Pia, so if you have problems pronouncing my last name, it's actually Pia, like, you know, Popia, right? So I look after the commercial business here in Asia for, uh, it's really tech startup called Spot, uh, we were recently acquired by an American MNC. So primarily the people who um, I work with are high growth startups uh, from Series A all the way to post IPO, right? And they benefit from using us in the following ways. Um, first of all, to accelerate their pathway to profitability uh, and stretch their dollars by optimizing their cloud costs. So cloud costs um, are actually the, the second highest expense after payroll typically in a tech company. And mm. what we can do is really help them to optimize about um, and get about 60% savings from it. So, for example, recently we worked with a SaaS company here in Asia that are in the CBC stage. And we were able to help them save 72% on their AWS cost, which translates to about 800000 per year, right? This money back to oh. them so they can reinvest this for innovation. Understood. So would I be right to say that most of the people you speak to are, I guess the personas are CTOs, CIOs, or are there any other type of personas you try to speak to? Mm, yes, you're very right. Um, typically, we speak to, you know, CTOs, co-founders, uh, co um, CFOs even, because they are also concerned about things like cash runway, profitability, and, um, you know, improving unit economics. Um, sometimes we also talk to head of engineering. And, mm. you know, um, I really feel very privileged to be able to speak to, you know, leaders, right, of these high growth companies of the future. Yeah. And I mean, speaking of this, I also see that you actually have a lot of opportunities to go to different like countries within Southeast Asia. Um, so maybe can you tell us lastly, what are some of the countries you're actually covering? All right. So uh, right now I'm covering ASEAN, um, Taiwan and also South Korea and Japan. Okay, so that's quite a, quite a big, uh, I would say, territory or a lot of countries that you're actually covering. Seems like it's quite a good opportunity for you. 
definitely. I think I always feel excited to work with um, regional companies because, you know, it's really good to get this kind of global exposure, which I hope to share more about later on. Yeah, and we will definitely dive deeper into some of those uh, questions we, you have or rather some of those perspectives that you have to share because I think it's really relevant considering some of the um, situation that we are seeing right now. But we can dive deeper into that. But I think to take a step back, right, you know, earlier on we were talking about how we first met. I think you were probably one of the first few person I met um, that was in tech sales and it's also someone very, I would say, active on LinkedIn, sharing your thoughts. And I think I connected with you I think even when I was still in university, I think, and I connected with you and, you know, I started to see you talking a lot about, you know, personal finances and all that. Uh, but we didn't really meet physically, I think until recently, right? Not too recently. So I'm not too sure if you remember how we kind of met up with each other. We decided to have, have like a quick drink at OSG. So yeah, I'm not sure if you remember all that. Yeah, I do. Um, I think at the point in time, you were at TalkDesk, correct? So we, your office was also in Suntec and so was mine. So that's why we met up at the usual OSG where all the tech sales people tend to congregate at. Yeah, it's actually a very nice place. And I think that's where I also first met you for the first time. And then we started talking about this whole idea of podcast. And yeah, and then we are here today. So just a very interesting kind of backstory on how everything came about. Yeah, but of course, um, Geraldine, I think what's really interesting here is that you know, as we mentioned, you first started creating content around really relevant topics for our generation, right? So you spoke a lot about personal finance. You also created content around navigating your own professional career. But I think in recent times, we've seen that because of your whole shift and your whole move and where you see your content going, you started sharing about business fundamentals of SaaS companies or rather software as a service companies which metrics to look at. And even you started talking about some of the recent tech layoffs, which is the main topic or rather the first topic we want to start with. So let's start with the elephant in the room, right? You know, while there are tons of interests around riding a tech wave, getting into tech or SaaS companies, um, you know, the promise of maybe greater income, better opportunities, we can't ignore the fact that all these news of layoffs are happening all around us in the US in APEC. Can you share some of your thoughts in terms of why this is happening and why are we seeing all this happening? Yeah, I guess for, for many of us uh, tech workers or those who are in tech sales, um, the past two years and this year has been quite a dramatic shift. So maybe I will start off with explaining like um, what exactly happened. So if we think about the COVID period, like the COVID like, intense periods, which is 2020 mm -hmm. and 2021, um, there was a significant uh, amount of like money that was like entering the markets, right? Because of the U.S. Federal Reserve, they actually you know pumped out, uh, trillions of dollars into the um, economy, and this actually um, pushed asset asset price up and also borrowing costs down. And specific to tech companies, they actually benefited a lot from this cheap capital because there's so much of it, and it was very easy to get funded. So back then, I think that several investors. Uh, in the private and public markets, both focus a lot on growth, right? And, you know, high growth. And this was like a metric that they singularly like, focused on. Yep. So in recent months, um, I think there was um, a lot of inflation. So to deal with it, the Fed decided to increase the interest rates. So this means to say that um, capital is no longer cheap, like money is no longer cheap. So investors have become a lot more cautious and prudent with their portfolios. So instead of you know, high growth at all costs, um, the focus has shifted to now, yes, growing fast you know, is really, really important, but we also need to do it you know, sustainably, we need to focus on efficiency and show like, you know, a clear pathway to profitability, right? So this is, the, mm. this is exactly what is um, happening right now. Yeah, and it seems like it's not just in the US, right? But you know, even a lot of companies who have AP operations that's affected as well. But, you know, on, in, in your thoughts, you know, are there any advice? Let, let's start with the people who are still employed, but maybe they have some colleagues who are unemployed now. You know, what, what would you have to say to them or what are your general thoughts to people who are in that situation where they're in the company? Thankfully, they are not laid off. Yeah, correct. So I've been talking to a lot of um, folks working in the tech industry this year just to gauge the sentiment right, of how they are feeling. And I guess that, you know, I think the main feeling that a lot of people are uh, going through is really fear and anxiety, which I myself also felt 
um, from time to time, and especially so at the start of this this year. Because mm. for many of us millennials and Gen Z, this is our actually actually our first tech winter. Yeah. Yep. And um, therefore, you know, it's something that comes as like a shock. And the for for the older tech workers, they actually been through things like this before, right? Like a dot com bubble and all that. So for them, it's like okay, you know, uh, it's not such a huge surprise. So um, the primary fear I feel is that. Uh, no, primary fear I'm hearing from people is more like, why be next? Why be the next one that is being let go? And yep. there's no way to assure people that you know you will not be let go ever because that's just like lying, right? There's no way to predict the what the CEO is thinking or like you know what the future holds and everything. So a common um, advice that I share with people is this really beautiful quote that I read online, which is hmm. basically uh, a bird sitting on the tree is never hmm. afraid of the branch breaking because her trust is not on the branch itself, but on her own wings. So hmm. I felt that this quote is very simple, but it really summarizes the whole idea, right? Which is basically, we cannot put our faith in uh, you know, companies, right? Because it's, it's totally out of our control. But what we can control is ourselves and our own capabilities, right? Which will keep us safe and afloat no matter what happens in the external environment. So this is the first um, first point about fear and anxiety. Another yep. feeling that I'm hearing from people who are you know working in companies where there were layoffs and maybe they were not impacted is also this feeling of loss and grief um, for mm -hmm. losing uh, great colleagues, especially colleagues which they felt really added a lot of value to their work, uh, not just on a practical level but on an emotional level. And you know, for me, I try to look at this from the perspective of you know. Um, how do I frame this? Because I think it's more like rather than focus on, you know, the fact that you have kind of lost them and they are no longer working with you, try to think of it in terms of like, hey, how wonderful was it that we were actually able to share and learn from each other for as long as we did during this, this few months, right? Or, or a few years. And mm. they will still be around physically. It's just that they are not in the same organization as you. Yeah. No, that's definitely true. And and I would say, I mean, that's really the emotional side, right? You know, sometimes maybe they just need time to kind of process this whole thing. But I think one of the things I, I kind of remember now is that actually it's not just about laying off. There's going to be a lot of restructuring for a lot of these companies. You know, could be roles changing, could be departments made irrelevant, for example, could be just a whole change of different things, different initiatives coming in. Maybe there are also people thinking to themselves, hey, even though I'm not laid off, should I leave or should I stay on here? Because there's, a, there's definitely uncertainty. What, what would you say to those people? So now that let's say they got over the emotional part and now they have to look forward to their career within a company, for example, you know, are there things that they should look out for? Are there things that they should do? Again, from your perspective, what do you think? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, right? Because mm. I think that uh, in the minds of many people, it's like, yes, I want to leave because I predict some kind of restructuring coming soon or my job scope has changed. What will be the next mm. step for myself and how do I make sure I don't end up in um, working a couple of weeks in a company and then suddenly I'm let go and everything. So for many of us who are thinking about our next move, um, I think there are a few key metrics we need to look at when analyzing the next company that we are about to join so first of all if we are thinking of going to a startup which many of us uh, in SaaS sales or tech sales actually enjoy working at um, mm. it's good to understand how much runway they have left right how many years of runway and I think that uh, maybe a good estimate would be startups with maybe three years of um, runway left because that ensures that they're actually quite in a quite a good cash position and likely will not um, have to do any kind of like layoffs or restructuring so that's one um, secondly, I think it's also good to look at high growth companies who have the option to be profitable or like some kind of plan to be profitable. So that's the second type of company to look at. And um, of course, the, the, uh, another thing to also observe is to avoid um, some of the venture backed companies, which are you know, making losses right, and at a risk of running out of money as well. And also um, those which are not growing as fast as they projected because these companies tend to lay off in an effort to really conserve cash and show like, you know, the pathway to profitability or so. So these are just some things to look out for. So, and it really, there's no harm to ask during an interview like, hey, how much runway are you left? Uh, you know, how are you meeting your growth um, projections and everything? Because 
uh, it's just doing your due diligence and employers will also understand, especially in this climate where every week we get like news of like, some company letting go staff and everything. Um, it's good to actually dive deeper into these metrics. And if they are not sharing with you or like, you know, or they get super defensive when you ask, mm. sometimes you might want to ask yourself, why are they being defensive, right? Correct? Mm. So, yeah. And, and what about, again, to those people who are in their company, you know, what, what triggers should they be looking out for to help them decide, okay, maybe it's time for me to leave? Because the truth is staying could be an option as well staying mm-hmm. in their own company as compared to living because living there's always things that are unpredictable so what should they look out for are there triggers they should look out for to say that okay this if this trigger happened i should leave but if this trigger doesn't happen i should stay so i mean what are your thoughts right you know because things are so unpredictable now well actually when you frame it this way it sounds like really black and white but actually every company is very very different um mm. maybe i can um uh, one question to ask yourself is that how um align are you to the company overall strength priorities? So let's say, for example, we will use mm. the recent case of Twilio, which laid off 11% of their employees. And we look at the people who were not impacted. They are typically from those segments, uh, which are called segment, engage, and flex. Because mm. um, Twilio actually considers these divisions to be very strategic and important in terms of unlocking um, significant value and, and this, this segment is actually showing a, a strong opportunity for growth. Therefore, what I've mm. observed is also in the recent day of these few um, divisions were not impacted or so. So it's about really thinking how do you align with the focus of you know, the overall company, right? Is your mm. role playing a strategic part in their future? And if not, what can you do to align closer? Or maybe if you can't, then how can you um, uh, think about like maybe positioning yourself in a way that is um, more relevant to employers, be it within your existing company or outside of it. Mm, okay, that makes sense. So it's basically, you know, making sure to a certain extent, you also want to make sure that your current position, even though you're still employed, you want to make sure that you are positioned at a place where, you know, that is a strategic focus for the company. Could be a position or could be a, a department or could be a product line. Is that what you're saying? Yep, correct. Yeah. And I think I really like what you mentioned something about um, earlier on, you talk about how you know, don't, don't just go f- ask for runway, especially for those people, let's say, who are laid off, looking for a new opportunity, uh, ask about runway, you know, are they VC back? I, I think this reminds me of a topic I had with um, Leon uh, just a few episodes back. We talk about how, you know, sometimes when you see a company raising a lot of money, you know, from investors, it, it's not always a good thing. It can be a good thing, but that also means they have a lot of investor pressure. And I think that's what we are seeing now, right? There's a lot of investor pressure to go for profitability. That's why there are some layoffs. That's also just some of my high-level thoughts. Not sure if you have anything to add to that. Yeah. Um, there are also some companies in the US which despite raising big rounds, right? They have still chosen to lay off employees, right? So you can't take like raising a round as like an <laughs> indicator as like, okay, no layoff is going to happen. Yeah, and I think it's really important for us to just you know, look through that, that, that bus, look over that news and really dive deep into, I guess, some of these metrics uh, that you mentioned. Uh, but of course, you know, in this topic, you know that it's a sort of like a podcast for tech sales professionals, for people in sales. You know, we, we like to discuss about, hey, the potential of riding a tech wave. And for both you and I, we are in tech sales, uh, particularly software as a service or SaaS sales. And, you know, this podcast, we have a lot of, aspiring and current tech sales professionals. But I want to dive a little bit deeper into your role because you've been in tech sales for such a long time. You know, what, what are some of the, I would say, main pros and benefits of being a tech sales? You know, despite all the negative news we've been hearing, there must be some benefits and, and pros of being in this position. Yes, definitely. Don't, um, don't be too worried about all the negative news. Let me share with you some of the benefits of this, this job. Um, specifically, I can answer from someone who is working in software as a service, you know, high growth segments uh, type of companies. And I guess the first benefit is really around autonomy uh, because mm. uh, as an AE, uh, I actually have a lot of control over my own schedule, deciding like, okay, what kind of meetings I want to have, um, how I want to plan my day, um, how I want to allocate my time and everything. So autonomy is one of the biggest benefits of this role. Hmm. Um, the second one is really about learning. I find this uh, job 
even now I've been in it for quite some quite a few years to be a tremendous learning opportunity and I'm always always learning something new so be it about the business how leaders think how to engage them and you know skills like being a good listener right asking the correct questions and just being able to manage the entire deal cycle and even like coordinating multiple departments and teams or so so I really feel that there's endless learning opportunities when it comes to working in um, tech sales. And I think that the third benefit is that it actually helps your personal life also because skills like listening, telling when people are lying about things, right, are all very useful for our personal lives um, and, and all that. And maybe the fourth benefit is really around future-proof. Okay, again, once again, I want to emphasize that this is also dependent on the type of tech that you're selling and specific to software as a service, high growth sectors, I feel that, you know, being in these sectors actually kind of helps you to make you future-proof as well because, you know, you can be quite sure that probably in the next five years or so, this um, industry wouldn't, like, die off or decline, right? And mm. the fifth thing that I can think about is that you get the opportunity to be surrounded by some of the most driven, ambitious, and hungry people because um, high-growth tech companies, says just attracts a lot of this type of, like, you know, entrepreneurial driven type of folks and when you are surrounded by this kind of people it really pushes you to the next level so these are just some of the benefits that i've thought of um, you know as i was reflecting on this question and, and i want to touch uh, the my next question is actually going to be asking you what are some of the challenges but i think you mentioned something really interesting just now where you talk about you know joining future proofing your career so you know joining companies who have a technology that could be relevant now and in the future um, would you also say that there is something that, let's say people, especially for those listeners who are thinking of going to tech sales or trying to transition into tech sales, would you say that's also something they should look out for when considering like a SaaS companies, like making sure you join a company whose technology is relevant? Yeah, what I can say is that um, not all tech sales roles are made equal, right? And not all tech <laughs> companies are, are made equal. There are some yep. segments in tech uh, and in older uh, or maybe the word is not older, but tech companies which have been around for some time but have not evolved as fast to keep up with the trends. Um, mm. It might not be good for a young graduate to join these kind of companies because they tend to have you know, poorer margins, they are not growing as fast and may even be on the decline. And when you join this as a, these kind of companies as a young graduate, you don't get mm. surrounded by the most driven, hungry, hungry and also accomplished people because these people will actually move on to the fastest growing segments already. So it's mm. not a really good place to kind of like begin your career and also to learn and grow. Furthermore, what mm. you learn and, and pick up may not be super relevant to the future as well. So mm. when I observe uh, companies on this kind of segments, uh, it, it still surprises me sometimes when I see people in their 40s and 50s still in there and not trying to, you know, upskill or move themselves to a better place, right? Because some questions I will be asking myself if I would and them is that, um, okay, what happens if I become irrelevant and, and got let go, right? Um, mm. What will happen to my children and my also, and also my elderly parents at that point in time? So, yep, this will be the, <laughs> my answer to your question. Yeah, and maybe I will give a more... I would say a specific example, you know, for example, you are selling um, a software for, you know, companies who are utilizing cloud. But there are also a lot of tech companies out there who are still selling, let's say, on-premise software, mm. uh, which is maybe 20, 30 years ago. Nothing wrong with selling that, but we know that sooner or later, maybe cloud will be, or rather cloud is already the kind of the future. People are already utilizing. And, and if you go into a company that still sells its, let's say, on-premise solutions, which typically brings them the good margins, right? Brings them the good margin. They can charge the maintenance fee and all that. Uh, yeah, that, that may be profitable for now, but that's not what you want to be in the future. So that's just some specific examples I have just based on what you shared. Of course, I think now then we go into the challenges, right? Of course, we talk about pros, benefits. You talk about autonomy and everything. What about challenges? You know, what? what? Because there are people who come out to me, you know, could be people who want to go into tech sales from other careers or fresh graduates. In your opinion, what do you think are some of the challenges they should be aware of or some of the things they should think about before considering a career in tech sales? Mm, this is a great question, Asher. And I think that you asked this in a couple of your previous uh, podcasts as well. But let yep. me try to give 
some answers that were not covered before. So I guess um, the first one is actually you really need to be fast. You need to be someone who moves fast, learn fast, think fast, because the nature of the high growth tech segment is really one that actually moves at a very, very rapid pace because companies are all competing to capture as much market share as possible, right? And these spaces are often a winner takes it all kind of like, you know, industry. Mm. So speed is definitely key. You need to ask yourself that, like, are you ready to run fast and innovate fast and, and learn fast, right? Because lagging behind by just one quarter, two quarters, that is already like a lot in, in tech. And mm. I think that another factor to also consider is that can you compete? Because there's going to be a lot, a lot of competition because the most driven, hungry people will congregate at places that pay the best and also uh, are growing the fastest as well. So you have mm. to think about like, hey, how are you able to, you know, really like uh, not only run fast, but also compete effectively with so many other brilliant people who are willing to do more work and will sometimes be able to accept less pay than you and everything. So we can see competition coming from two segments in the labor market. Mm. One is, of course, the younger generation uh, who are actually hungry, wanting to become successful in a short period of time and just doing their best to like rise up, right? So that's one segment. The other segment is actually global competition. So if you mm. think about the days before COVID, which is before 2020, there were a lot of um, competition from the rest of the world. So when I apply for a role, I'm basically competing with like someone in UK, in USA, in India, all fighting for this same role and wanting to have a pie, a, a piece of the pie, right, in this uh, high growth sector in Southeast Asia. So, so the thing is that um, it's very important to think about how you can compete internationally as well. And of course, not to say that, um, how do I frame this? But I guess that um, back then there were situations whereby um, Sometimes you have a, a, a case whereby you put someone of a certain nationality in as a leader in a particular department or company and mm. gradually the rest of the leaders or the whole team start to be from the same country as him. And um, this, this incidence and uh, observing these things happen before COVID made me realize that, you know, if I want to work in Singapore, I need to be prepared to really compete with the whole world. So this is these are the kind of things that we we have to deal with and which are very real. Yeah, and and I think it's an interesting topic you mentioned. You know, this whole idea of competition, like I say, not just from the younger generation trying to compete, you know, wanting to do something more, uh, willing to hustle more, if that's the right mm -hmm. word to use, but also global competition, right? So you mentioned that okay, you see that there is a trend happening. You need to deal with global competition. People who are let's say from other countries or who are willing to take a lower pay, get the same role as you, hustle more. What do you think are some of the things we can do to make sure we stand out? Not just for other applicants, but just generally make sure that, hey, we can still remain competitive. Let's say being people in Southeast Asia or in Singapore. Yeah, I guess that um, this is a great question, by the way. Um, it's really important to focus on the things we can control because policies and stuff like that all take time to evolve. Uh, but the main thing that we can focus on is really like uh, how we actually position ourselves, right? So mm. I think the first one is actually to build our network. So back to the example I, I brought up earlier about how like, you know, um, some um, leaders tend to hire and promote people of the same kind as them um, because they yeah. have a network. And it's equally important for us to also build up our own network, our own army of like <laughs> allies, right? Where we can actually yeah. um, exchange ideas, exchange opportunities and learn together, grow together. That's one. Um, the second one is actually uh, to get better in the way that we communicate. So I, I understand there is some resentment among um, locals here, which, uh, and sometimes I hear people saying things like, hey, um, this guy just knows how to talk only. Why did he get like promoted ahead of me? Right? I, I do hear that from, from time to time. But then again, if this is what the corporate world or leaders actually value, I don't see a harm in learning how to get better at presenting oneself. So, mm. um, in fact, I've been actively trying to work on this. Uh, in the past, I was mostly someone who is, my core skill set, I would say, is actually in writing. But in recent mm. years, I've really been making an effort to speak in front of video, doing podcasts and things like that, just to improve my verbal communication skills. Yeah. Um, the third thing I can think about is actually getting international exposure. Because um, if we just focus on Singapore alone or a single market, that could be a little bit 
dangerous because if you think about Singapore versus Thailand, you know, Philippines, Indonesia and all that, these markets, um, their digital economy is actually growing at a much more rapid pace. So it's really critical for us to, you know, try and get some regional exposure or maybe even international exposure, getting best practices from markets across the world and then bring back the, uh, bringing them back home so that we can better add value to the companies we, we work for. So um, the fourth thing that I would actually um, suggest is really, um, again, pivoting to, grow, pivoting to faster growing segments, which I covered quite a bit uh, about earlier. And the last part is, I think everyone needs to ask themselves, right? What makes me different from the rest of the hundreds of thousands of people who can actually do my job? How can I yep. differentiate myself? So these are some questions to, to really think about. It's interesting that you say that. Um, and I think one thing I would want to say from my own personal experience, when you say things like, okay, don't just do, let's say Singapore, for example, in tech sales, you don't want to just get exposure to just selling in Singapore because um, you want to have sort of like a regional or maybe even international exposure if you're lucky. And I think I've been fortunate to be in smaller APEC teams. So every time, a lot of times, my territory is maybe Southeast Asia, not just Singapore, not just Malaysia. And I think that really helps me, right? In fact, that was one of my motivations to start learning Basel Indonesia, for example, which is, I think, a, a country which has a lot of growth potential. But if, we can, if I can dive deeper into, I would say, practical tips or things that you will start doing straight away, let's say as a fresh grad, you talk about network. I'm a fresh graduate, or let's say I'm someone in my last year. I'm just, just a student. Everybody else I know are students just like me. How do I actually proactively start to build, let's say, my network? How do I proactively start to make my name known, make myself known, make myself stand out? What are some of the things, if you can turn back time, what are some of the things you have done back then to make yourself stand out? Or what are the things you sh would have done if you can turn back time? Mm, I guess that there's two... Two, two things, you know, actionable steps that one can take, right? Um, mm. One is actually attending industry events because that's where you get to meet, like, people who are already working there and who are mm. often, you know, willing to, to network and share their advice because they, um, the fact that they even show up at the event is because they, they, they are thinking about, like, you know, exchanging value with, with others. Um, yep. The second thing is that they can think about actually using LinkedIn. So there's no other time in human history uh, that we have access to so many people's resume in, in public. So mm. I think LinkedIn is a really great platform for you to really find these people, reach out to them and engage them. But of course, you need to re recognize that for every individual that you are you know, reaching out to, they are also receiving tons of messages. So I'm sure someone like yourself, Asher, since you're hosting yep. this podcast, also get a lot of messages right every day. And it's just impossible to answer all of them and sometimes you don't have the bandwidth because you also have your day job to focus on so mm. what i find really um, um as a really important step to take when it comes to standing out in someone's mailbox is really to personalize as much as possible show this person that you yep. did your homework what are the things that you tried and all that before reaching out to them yeah it, it's funny you say that uh i was just talking with a friend recently and and we were saying like well, there are people out there who, who, you know, they will just send you a random message. Hey, let's say Asher or hey, Geraldine, can I grab coffee with you? We'd love to get your thoughts on things. And there's no context. There's no personalization. There's no relevance. You know, these are the kind of so-called, I would say, messages that you wouldn't respond to, right? You know, it, it's just out of the blue. Just, I want to have a coffee, trying to get something from you. But, you know, when you say personalization, you know, and that's something I do, right? When I reach out to, to different people, um, you know, that's what I do. I, I look at their profile, say, hey, I notice. Maybe you talk about something in this article. Hey, I saw you mentioned this in your post. I really love to get your thoughts and maybe even offer them a coffee. Can I bring you out for a coffee? And that just helps to you know, show them that you're willing to give something before you receive something. So that's what I, I would say. Yeah, and to add on to that, some people just email like, can you be my mentor? I really want to learn about sales and all that, which I find shocking because it's like, how do, I, how do I say this? Mentorship is a responsibility that takes like, I would think like if I, I'm a mentor to a few people and it takes mm. me like once a quarter to actually meet them. I have to remember like all the stuff that they share. I have to remember like the, the I have to deal with their personal problems and also their work-related problems, right? And then co-create mm. co solutions together with them. So mentorship is a really big step and a big responsibility. So to, to ask for it upfront like this without like, easing into the process, I would feel that it's akin to maybe, for example, like 
proposing to a girl when you never met her before, right? asking her to marry you or something yeah. like that. Did you get where I'm coming from? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so maybe let, let's get from your perspective right, in that case, Geraldine. So tell me, let's say today, you, you mentioned you have a couple of mentors. Tell us a little bit of the process of how we met them and how do you decide that, yes, these are the people that I want to be my mentees. How did they reach out to you? How did that so-called that relationship start to form? Also, this is just for some of our listeners who everybody wants a mentor, you know, who can get them to the next step of their life. How does this whole mentorship work or how would you decide who to take as a mentee? Um, first of all, it's definitely not an instant, instant thing. Typically, these mm. are people who I've worked with for quite some time. So I have one from Salesforce, one from um, Twilio and another one from um, Workado. And uh, how I choose them is based on a couple of things. Um, number one, I think it's common values, right? Because these are individuals that, you know, probably share the same um, values as me and values that I like, like they're authentic, they're vulnerable, they're willing to put in the work and all that. And the second part of it is I tend to choose people from middle to lower income backgrounds because access to opportunities um, mm having that whole cultural and social capital is often something that they may not have um, access to as compared to students from high-income families. Hmm. And I guess the third thing I really choose is that, uh, really choose based on is that I look out for compassion and kindness because my idea is that if I can help someone who wants to give back to the community, I'm basically not helping one person, but I'm helping him and the rest of the people that he's going to benefit also. So that's how I'm looking things at things from an impact perspective. And I think what's interesting is, I think one of the things you mentioned at the very beginning was, it's not an instantaneous thing. Uh, so, you know, sometimes I feel like in this world where, you know, consumption, we want something straight away, we want something fast, we want to see the results. I think we often forget that, you know, even a relationship between a mentor and mentee is actually a relationship that takes time to build. Yeah. Um, it's not... It's, it needs to be natural. It needs to mm -hmm. be just so happen. Like I said, values align. Um, they are, they are, the goals align maybe to a certain extent. And this takes time to build. And you know, if you're not willing to take that step to kind of build with someone, it, it can be a little bit tough. And, and, and I'm sure that's something you do as well, right? When you're looking, let's say, for a mentor for yourself. That's probably something that you look for yourself. Um, would you say that is something you look at with, you know, with considering a mentor? Because now then you are the mentee. When I look at mentors, um, so I, I also uh, am practicing what I preach, right? I'm actually walking to different, um, sending emails to different people just to hear from them. And I never ever go with the perspective of like, hey, I want to learn from you because I don't even know what they are like, right? Online and offline could be different. So I will come in and say that, hey, you did, you achieved so-and-so um, and you are interesting. So I really love to learn from you specifically on items A, uh, A B, C, understand a little bit more about your journey, you know, and all that. And then if they agree to meet, I will go to wherever is convenient for them, even if it's Passeries or Jurong West. And then <laughs> I will like uh, get to know them, sense, do a vibe check, you know, understand how they look at things, their values, are they legit and all. And then I will continue to follow up from there if I do feel that they are interest, interesting and interested. Yeah, and it it's, reminds me of like, actually, yeah, this is like dating, right? You know, it's... Yeah. it's <laughs> You, you need that talking phase, get to know each other phase. You don't just go to someone like you said to just propose and be like, hey, do you want to be my wife? Do you want to be my husband? Whatever that is. So I think it is something that we can all take, a, a, I guess, a little bit, a page out of your book as well. So I think that, that is interesting for all of us. Um, but I mean, I, I guess one of the last few questions I have, right? Uh, I kind of want to go back into something that is a familiar topic for you, which is kind of like personal finance. You know, there is a, you know, in, in tech, with I think one of the reasons why many people want to go into uh, technology sector is because there's a promise of, let's say, uh, greater growth. Things are moving so fast, you can grow better in your career. And with that, potentially, you may come with, you know, sometimes greater income. Not guaranteed, but maybe. But personally for you, someone in SaaS sales, you know, how, how, does, how do you manage, let's say, every year, let's say you have a certain uptick in income, or let's say you are... Earning a little bit more, let's say, than your peers. How do you actually manage those finances? How do you be responsible for what you have been given? I guess there are multiple ways to look at this, but for myself personally, I've been very, very blessed um, in the sense that I have started to do volunteer work since I graduated from school. And um, 
no, I started to do volunteer work maybe about one year since I graduated from school. And during these volunteer works, we will visit residents um, in the various um, blocks and everything. And through serving them, I've learned quite a few things. Um, I think the first thing I learned is that, um, of course, the importance of staying future-proof, right? Because I do visit families and then this like university graduate who was like doing super well um, in the first few, few, few years of his life, suddenly lose his job when he's 40 or, or 50 because he was not able to stay relevant. And at the same time, he was, you know, he lost out to global competition. So this type of stories are always a reminder for myself um, to really, you know, never ever become complacent and always to save for a rainy day because I will never know, even if, you know, I, I give my very best, right, what would actually happen to me. Um, I remember distinctively during the COVID-19 period, I actually spoke with um, one of the residents who's a pilot at a coffee shop. And he told me that he was under a lot of stress because he could no longer fly as often and his income dropped because uh, pilots are paid not only their base, but also based on the, I think, the number of trips that they do. I think they call it hours or something like that. And because mm -hmm. of that, his, the variable income decreased. He was not able to, um, I would say not able, but struggling to support his current lifestyle. So that was, this, things like this are always a reminder that, hey, you know, Good times are not always forever. Hence, we must always save for a rainy day and live um, maybe within our means. Don't, you know, spend as though... You don't spend based on your OTE, right? <laughs> spend based on like your... Yeah. your Maybe a conservative estimate like your base and then a little bit more. Um, so that, that's how I actually um, approach my finances and why I actually have a slightly more conservative approach when it comes to uh, money management. Of course, there are also other factors. Yeah. Uh, for example, I'm writing about finance. I need to set a good example, right? So yep. uh, that's this one. And of course, I guess I have to credit my, my dad because he actually brought me up in quite a, a way that um, he actually encourages us to be thrifty, you know. So mm -hmm. I don't actually feel much attraction towards branded things. <laughs> yeah, Yeah. I, I, actually, I would say we are very similar in that in that sense. Like I, I wasn't brought up in like a rich family as well. I, I don't think I've ever owned or purchase anything that's branded myself. Maybe the, the most expensive I purchase, maybe like Under Armour shirts is probably the most expensive I ever go to, which people won't even call it branded or anything. Uh, but I think as you are talking about um, this thing, you know, volunteering and all, I, I recall quite distinctly, you mentioned this thing about um, sort of this tech privilege thing you believe in. Like you're in a position where, like I said, you potentially you may have a higher income than most people. You have more growth in your career. Um, it gives you higher disposable income. And you have this habit of, I, I remember when I look at some of your posts, right? You have this habit of, for example, automating your giving to different organizations, different charities. So why do you do that? You know, and, and why should people start doing that? Is there a certain belief you have or certain values you have that made you start doing that? I, I guess if you are a tech worker and you only mix with people in tech or maybe finance, you would think that, you know, you are average. But the truth is that many of us are not um, average. We are actually above average in terms of the, the, the income and the kind of standard of living that we get to enjoy. So I'll give you an uh, example. So for example, maybe a BDR with two years experience probably earns about yep. 7K per month, right? He'll complain, mm -hmm. right, right? Why I learn less than my peers or AE or whatever, right? <laughs> but yep. do you not realize that there are people outside of tech who are maybe 10 years older, like 35 years old, and they may not even be getting that amount of money, not because they are lazy or not capable, but they just happen to be in a different industry that does not reward the workers uh, as financially well as technology. So I yeah. think keeping that in mind, right, reminds us that we are actually in a very lucky position to be in a high growth sector and in a high growth market, you know, like Asia. So, all these things, you know, it's not 100% from our own, from our own, like, hard work, you know, perseverance. Of course, that is mm. a big part of it. But there's always an element of chance, luck, meeting the right people, going for the right events, you know, having, you yeah. know, certain incidents that happen that push us in a different direction. A lot of it is due to chance. If you think back and look at your own journey so far, I'm uh, it's, the, it's, it's the case for me, and I'm sure that Asher, for yourself, when you look back, you will see the element of, chance probability and luck in your journey so far so 
And for me, I feel incredibly blessed that um, I'm here. And I also recognize that, you know, um, uh, where I am today is a result of many people who have supported me and helped me. That's why giving back is very, very important to me. And I do so through mentorship and also through um, giving.sg. So I actually yep. have um, set up like a few automated donations or giving.sg where I donate to charities that I care about, ranging from, you know, environmental issues to um, helping the elderly, which is a topic that is very, very close to my heart. And also uh, mm. other causes as well, like migrant workers. Mm. And what would you say to people who, I, I think you mentioned this whole thing about, hey, when you just speak to people in tech or people in finance, yeah, it, it can become a bubble, right? Mm. You just feel like, yeah, you know, Singapore, everybody is well to do, you know, every, oh, I'm not earning much, my peers is earning this. So would you then recommend them to, you know, do some, do some volunteering work or, you know, what, what would you recommend to them to do to get exposed to some of those things you mentioned to understand a little bit more about how the, maybe less fortunate are living or people who may not in the same position, what would you advise them to do? I guess expanding your scope of friends beyond your sector is one of the ways you can do that. Um, and I guess many of us do have friends who are outside the sector, right? Because from school and everything and all that. And then by keeping close to them and also uh, provided their values are aligned with you and they are good friends, you can actually understand their perspective and how they view things a bit more. And also be cautious about the things that you say when you are meeting friends from other segments or so because sometimes you could potentially come across as arrogant or complaining about first world problems when that was not your intention at all. Right, and I really appreciate kind of you just sharing that a little bit of advice, right? I think it's really important for all of us. And you know, as we are bringing kind of this episode into the close, now, we definitely have a couple more questions for you. And I think, uh, you know, really want to get your thoughts on this last few things. And feel free to add any other um, perspective you have. But based on today's topic, right, what is, let's say, one last message you would say to people who are considering their next step in a tech career, going towards a career in tech? Let's start with maybe the first group, which is students, fresh grads, people who are living the school life, entering to the workforce. What is one thing you would tell them? I think the most important thing is to know your why. Because if you don't know your why and you just do enter uh, sectors, right, which are trendy or which are cool or which are hot now, what happens if these sectors are no longer hot? So case in point, when I was in secondary school, biomedical science was the hot thing. When I was in JC, accountancy was the hot thing. And then when I went to uh, uni, um, you know, getting into the prestigious advertising agencies and PR agencies at that point in time was the hot thing. Also. So the hot thing actually evolves over time. Don't just chase something because it's hot, popular, prestigious. Chase it because you really see the benefits of it and you like it. If not, you will not be able to compete effectively among all the other people who have not just hard work, but also a very, very strong why that is driving them. And I guess secondly, what about people who are, let's say, in a completely different industry? And they are thinking of taking a plunge into tech. But these people could range from different places, right? They may be single, they may be married, some of them may have kids. What would you say to them then for those type of people? Um, for the mid-career switchers, I guess it's important to understand first like, hey, are you willing to go back to having a beginner's mindset? Because you mm. might have a lot of proficiency in one industry, but to do that switch requires a certain uh, dose of humility uh, to you know, begin again, you know, to start again, and then to accept that hey, you may not know everything. So I think having that beginner's mindset, you know, going in like as though um, you are starting from scratch is absolutely important. And not just for me, career professionals, but I think for everyone, um, you know, you 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 when you enter a new job, you know, you're always learning something new. When you speak to a new customer, you're also learning something new. So so try to mm. come from a position where, hey, I'm here to learn more. Right. And thanks for sharing that. Yeah, I think if not, I just have uh, you know, two more questions before we go to our very fun, what I like to call the rapid fire questions as always. But tell me, Geraldine, you know, at this point, what do you love about your job at this moment? Um, I love the type of customers that I work with. They are primarily what, what uh, big tech companies call digital native customers. So these are like the high growth, uh, growth stage startups. Um, you know, I feel proud to be working with some of these 
companies of the future, meeting their visionary leaders, founders, and running fast alongside them, helping them, right? And I do find my role quite meaningful now because what I'm trying to do is actually help companies to optimize their cloud spend and automate their uh, cloud infrastructure. So this achieves two outcomes. I hope that by actually, you know, helping them to optimize their cloud spend, we can actually save on some of the, um, save some people's jobs, right? Because the company yeah. saves money on one front, they don't have to lay off and make someone else like uh, redundant, or maybe they can even repurpose them. At the same time, through automating that infrastructure, actually free up time for engineers. So instead of doing boring things, uh, like maintaining the infra and everything, they can actually refocus their efforts on stuff that they probably love a lot more, like delivering features and all that. Yeah, and... and- I don't know, maybe you may have answered my second question, which is what gets you out of bed every day. But based on what you've mentioned, would you say that there are some other things that gets you out of bed every single day? Mm, same but different. I think that um, for myself, I never ever dread Mondays, right? In fact, like uh, I actually enjoy my job. I think growth excites me. High growth industry, such as working in the software as a service industry, excites me. High growth region, such as Southeast Asia, and high-growth customers, as I talked about earlier, in the digital native space. Mm, okay, nice. Right, and with that being said, I think we have to go into our rapid-fire questions. So a quick rule for these questions is that you know, try your best to answer them in one word or maybe one sentence. Uh, the questions may get slightly deeper as we go to the end, but okay. let's see what are some of the interesting answers we, we get from you. All right, so just answer like one sentence. How long can my sentence be? Oh, well, I mean, if typically for our <laughs> guests, you know, some of them, when it's a deeper question, it's okay if you go a little bit more, it's fine. But, you know, try to one sentence or it's a rapid fire questions for, for a reason. But no, nothing wrong if you want to take longer to give context. So don't worry. Okay, I'm ready. It. Bring it on, Asher. Okay, so number one, simple one. What was your favorite subject in school? Um, I love history and social studies. Oh, okay. Well, that's very interesting. Um, secondly, something that, is really uh, familiar to you. What is your favorite country in Southeast Asia or ASEAN? Um, it's very hard to choose, but I guess Indonesia is the one that I'm most familiar with. Is there a reason why you say Indonesia? When you say ASEAN, you exclude Singapore, right? Uh, well, I mean, let's exclude Singapore for now. You know, let's exclude <laughs> Singapore because I, I, I would say Singapore because that's where I'm born. But, but yeah, you know, why, why Indonesia? Yeah, so excluding Singapore, uh, Indonesia is actually my favorite um, market because I find that uh, I mean I've been working in the, uh, with that market since 2016 or so it's just incredible to see their growth right I think back then companies like Bukalapa and Tokopedia or Gojek they're not that big yet but now these are literally giants right and like well-respected um, companies yeah so I, I felt that the growth journey was super fascinating I love to talk to Indonesian customers because they are generally very, very nice people who are not arrogant and they are also very willing to try new things, accept and learn. I think if I, if I may put this in a different way, I feel like humility, entrepreneurship, you know, innovation is kind of something that is embedded in the uh, country's culture and values also, if I were to look at it from, 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 from my perspective as an outsider. Yeah. Nice. Oh, and I love the food and yeah. I love batik. <laughs> uh, yes, yes, we do see see I do see that a lot of that uh when I when I look at your your posts and everything. Okay, next question. Um what software do you use most every single day? The software that I use the most will be Notion. Mm, mm, yes, I would agree. That's my go-to notes app, productivity app, workspace app, and everything for me. Okay, now what is one book or podcast you would recommend people to read or listen to? Recently, I've been listening quite a lot to um, 20 VC or 20 sales because mm. 20 VC is like the, the podcast name, but they also have like 20 sales and everything because I feel that as an employee, it's really, really important for us to not just understand like our specific job well, but to also understand the business well because when we understand the business well, then we can better add value to them. Yeah, I, I'm a fan of the new VC as well. I do listen to some of the episodes and they have some good guests. Now, now interesting uh, question here. Now we talk about one book or podcast you would recommend. But today, if you were given a chance to write a book of your own, what would it be about? Let's say a whole book, not just a contributor, but a whole book. What would you want to write about? Wow, this is a very uh, challenging question because I've, you know, I, I love writing, right? So I've been writing mm. for quite some time and I've never actually... Um, 
thought about like no i have thought about writing a book before but i've scraped like quite a few of my ideas say given this point in time in 2022 and if i have to write a book by myself mm. probably i might want to write about like um probably the the struggles that um leaders go through because i've also been interviewing um tech leaders as part of my own podcast it's called asean tech leaders if you are interested to follow and i mm. do find that a lot of times we only see things as worker bees right from an employee's perspective and we don't actually understand the struggles or the perspective of what um, leaders are going through the way they think the way they look at the business the way they operate and i find that having that alignment is absolutely key because it will help us to perform better do better and it also accelerate our growth and learning because the best shortcut to learning is always learning from people who are already ahead of you right because you can actually yeah. shortcut by like skipping all the mistakes and all the pain and unhappiness that they went through to get to your destination faster Okay, and we will definitely put your podcast in the episode's description. So please give us some of the relevant links later. Uh, last two questions I have. Again, it's getting quite deep. Uh, so let's see what your answers will be. So second last question is, what motivates you the most every single day? I think that, of course, um, as all of us in tech sales, um, money is important, but it's not everything, right? The thing that actually motivates me a lot is impact. Because I see my um, the impact, the direct impact that my solution has on the customers, and you know I feel really happy when I can help them to you know free up some of this um, uh, money that you know, and then return the ROI back to the business so they can reinvest this in other growth areas. And also, like I talked about earlier, hopefully, right, I can save someone's job by you know <laughs> helping them to optimize their cloud spend. So, so I think impact is a very very big driver for me, and also because mm. I have the um, uh, ambition to not just impact my customers but also impact the team that I work for the sport team to really help mm. them to build out this like uh, great team here in Asia so that's one the second thing that motivates me is also learning because I find that in SaaS sales it's the never ever learning journey right like you're always learning something yep. new I, I consider it like you know um, I would think I, I look at it from a craftsmanship perspective. There's so many components to it, like prospecting, um, working internally, motivating people internally, um, negotiation, getting a technical and solution validation and win and everything. There's so many moving parts. And yep. it's a constant like adjustment right, to get better at it throughout one's life. Yeah. Okay, nice, nice answer. And last one, um, could be a simple one, but what would you say is your most strongly helped belief or value strong mostly help belief uh, or... most strongly help belief or value wait okay do you have some examples what do you mean uh, by that i mean could be you know some people believe that your know, money is the most important thing that's a that's a belief you know that's mm -hmm. a value what do you think is something that you hold really dear to yourself a belief that you you have every single day as you live your life um well, there are many values that I, I hold dear and many principles that I have learned. But um, I'm Taoist, right? So one of the values and beliefs that I've, um, I hold dear is actually about um, not, not say resisting change, but like moving along with it. Because Taoism is all about mm. living in harmony with nature. So the, the Taoist okay. um, principles, okay, it's going a bit deep. <laughs> it's about like being like water, right? So when you see a rock, you don't like, keep like trying to knock this rock out of your way but rather you float around it so and then gradually when you float around it you actually like erode the 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 um the rock itself so that's really mm -hmm. i think uh, a guiding principle that i have that has really helped me in my life decisions for instance like when i see tech is doing well growing fast uh a lot of um, um profits and everything then actually i uh, align myself with this current right so that i can really ride the wave rather than mm. right against the wave and current. Because we've seen how some businesses, they refuse to change, right? Like they refuse yeah. to go digital. They want to use their like old system. <laughs> they don't want to yeah. move to cloud. And then you see how they suffer, right? Because they are not flowing with the current and riding the wave. They are running against it. And what happens when you keep going against it? You eventually become tired and like, you know, um, what do you call it? Like eventually become tired and like, um, this, you can't really resist it anymore, right? So why not ride it instead? Yeah. All right. Thanks for sharing. Good way to end off. Good way to end <laughs> off. But of course, uh, Geraldine, for our listeners who are tuning in, you know, could you let them know 
if they want to reach out to you, of course, with relevance and personalization, <laughs> what, what is the best way to reach you? Um, I, I, I have a mailing list, so I'll share the link below. So I send out the email on most uh, Sundays, you know, covering three things about, you know, leadership, growth, tech industry. And uh, when I talk about growth, it's not just about career growth. I also cover like growth in one's personal life because I think balance is absolutely key and, and important. And um, other channels I'm on will be like Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter. So I'll share the links with you. Yes, we have a lot of links from you later. So I'll make sure I post <laughs> them in the description. Uh, but of course, you know, thank you so much, Geraldine, for kind of, um, you know, being on the guest of this podcast and also being the first ever guest I have that, you know, encourages me to do a video because the podcast has always been just audio, but this is the first time I'm doing video. So thank you for that. And thank you to everyone else for tuning in as well. So if you enjoyed this episode, you want to hear more, you want to hear Geraldine more, subscribe to her, connect with her, subscribe to the podcast. And feel free to connect with us on LinkedIn as well uh, by clicking our profile link or in this episode's description. Uh, but as all of you know, I'm new to hosting my own podcast. Let me know if there are any thoughts or suggestions you know, that you have for us. But as always, we're excited for the next one. We're looking forward to it. But for now, take care, stay safe and have a great revenue journey. All right, Geraldine, you can say bye to our audience as well. Bye. <laughs>